is a vaccine to become part of the treatment for cancer of the prostate. You're listening to ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm your host, Dr. Maurice Pickard, and joining me today is Dr. James Gully. Dr. Gully is the director of the clinical trial group of the Laboratory of Tumor Immunology and Biology at the National Institute of Health and also a senior staff clinician within the medical oncology branch at the National Cancer Institute. Thank you very much for joining us today. Oh, it's my pleasure to be here, Dr. Pickert. We've always looked at vaccines as being is a vaccine to become part of the treatment for cancer of the prostate. You're listening to ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm your host, Dr. Maurice Pickard, and joining me today is Dr. James Gully. Dr. Gully is the director of the clinical trial group of the Laboratory of Tumor Immunology and Biology at the National Institute of Health and also a senior staff clinician within the medical oncology branch at the National Cancer Institute. Thank you very much for joining us today. Oh, it's my pleasure to be here, Dr. Pickard. We've always looked at vaccines as being preventative, and now we begin to see that vaccines have a possible use in the treatment of cancer of the prostate and maybe other cancers as well. Can you tell me, to begin with, how immunotherapy may play a role in this disease? Yes, I think it's a very interesting and and new area for immunotherapy. I think that what we have been able to see is that early indications suggest that we can mount immune responses against tumor-associated antigens or tumor-specific antigens in prostate cancer. There are several things about prostate cancer that make it amenable to treatment with immunotherapies, including generally it is an indolent growing disease, and that allows time for an immune response to be mounted. In addition, the number of targets that we have available to us in prostate cancer is quite a few, and these have been well-described, well-developed. And so based on this, there are at least three vaccine platforms that are in advanced clinical trial testing. Could you tell me something about those platforms? Yes. So we have the three platforms, including the antigen-presenting cell-based platform, perhaps the furthest along. This is a platform that takes the antigen-presenting cell, which is part of the immune system. Basically, these are the cells that can teach the T cells and B cells how to behave, what targets to look for. And these antigen-presenting cells can be uh, taken from the patient, grown up in the laboratory, and then given back to the patient along with the target of interest for the Sapula cell T vaccine or the Provenge vaccine. This target of interest is prostatic acid phosphatase that's linked to an immune-stimulator molecule, GM-CSF. And are there other platforms as well? Yes, there are two other platforms that are being used relatively widely. One is the whole tumor cell platform, GVAX. This is a platform that is comprised of two different prostate cell lines that are grown in the laboratory. Both of these have been modified slightly genetically to make GMCSF, again, the same protein that can help stimulate the immune system. These cells are grown up, then irradiated, killed, and given as a vaccine to the patient. And the final vaccine platform is a pox viral platform. This platform is interesting because you can put in a variety of different genes within this viral vector, such as 
target genes for PSA or other uh, tumor-associated antigens, as well as genes for co-stimulatory molecules. And one such platform is the PSA TRICOM vaccine. This vaccine has been in a variety of different phase two clinical studies. You mentioned that there are good markers for this process. I'm, I'm intrigued by the fact that possibly even without metastatic disease, there are good markers, different than, say, other cancers. And this might also make it a good example to try. That's absolutely right. So what we have found is obviously in patients with prostate cancer that have undergone radiation or, or surgery, approximately one-third of the patients will develop biochemical recurrence. That is, their PSA will start to rise following local treatment. It is These patients that have very low volumes of disease and usually slow-growing disease indicated by slowly rising PSA that may be the ones that are more likely to benefit from vaccines. And and PSA does serve as a very good marker for these patients. If you're just joining us, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Maurice Pickard, and today I'm talking with Dr. James Gully, Director of the Clinical Trial Group of the Laboratory of Tumor Immunology and Biology at the National Institute of Health. And we're discussing the use of vaccines in the treatment of cancer of the prostate. We don't need the gland prostate to live a normal, healthy life. And so the destruction of normal cells may also be an advantage using a vaccine as opposed to the liver, for example, where when you try different modalities, you're trying not to injure the healthy cells. That is a good point. So as we know, if you have prostate cancer that is localized and you remove it surgically, the patients do fine. They don't need the prostate to live. The fact that we can use any target that is tissue-specific allows us to use many more different types of targets. So we can use PSA, which is expressed not only on the normal cells, but also on the tumor cells as a target. And we can get the immune system to go in and eradicate the tumor cells as well as perhaps uh, some residual normal cells. You bring up an interesting point in that there are different targets. Are we combining vaccines with other modalities? In other words, are we exploiting the use of vaccines with other modalities? And try to compare this to conventional combination chemotherapy. Yes, that is a very good question. We have looked at a variety of different combinations here at the National Cancer Institute. We've been able to show that we can combine vaccine therapy with hormonal therapy or androgen deprivation therapy We've been able to combine vaccine with radiation therapy and being able to combine vaccine with chemotherapy. In all of those cases, we've been able to show that we can generate good immune responses despite the combinations of vaccine with the standard therapies. And there are very interesting rationales behind each of these. Could you tell me some of them? Sure. So with the combination of vaccine and hormonal therapy, what we know is that hormonal therapy can cause a reemergence or regrowth of the thymus gland. Now, you may remember that the thymus gland is where all the T cells uh, get trained, and this reemergence of the thymus can result in their generation of naive or new T cells that could potentially recognize and attack the tumor. In addition, Clinical studies have shown that the use of hormonal therapy in patients with prostate cancer prior to prostatectomy has resulted in a significant increase in an inflammatory response within the prostate. Similarly, with with radiation therapy and with chemotherapy, we've shown that those two modalities can actually alter the way the tumor looks to the immune system so that there's upregulation of markers on the tumor cell that make it easier for the immune system to recognize 
or kill the tumor. In addition, chemotherapy can actually rev up a T-cell response. The T-cells can actually make more gamma interferon, for instance, which makes them more active, more readily able to kill the tumor cell. Well, you mentioned the word response that I like to just dwell on. Early on, uh, as in most cancer research, you chose, and people, other investigators chose, the people with the most advanced cancers to try this new modality. And they use the distinction tumor response or R-E-C-R-I-S, which is uh, response evaluation criteria in solid tumors, and compared it to patient response. Could you comment on this word response and how it plays into the use of vaccines? Yes, I think this is a very important concept and one that is just evolving as we are learning to use targeted therapies such as vaccines or even drugs like the tyrosine kinase inhibitors that have been just recently approved for renal cell cancer. The idea of looking at a patient response versus a tumor response is an important new idea. The idea is that what we are really trying to get at is improving the long-term outcome of patients, improving survival. If we have a modality that shrinks the tumor, that's nice, but if it doesn't ultimately benefit the patient by improving symptoms or improving survival, that is not enough. It turns out that perhaps these vaccines may not be able to do a lot in terms of shrinking tumors, but they may actually be able to cause a prolonged stabilization of disease, and in fact, that may result in improved survival. It would be nice if we could turn metastatic cancer into something more like diabetes or heart disease where we can chronically manage this. For somebody in practice, we've been looking at cancer of the prostate in many different ways, and there is a tension that exists that we may be over-treating people. Is it fair to say that with this new idea of vaccines, that we should, in some way, there should be some kind of selection, that if we're going to use this treatment modality, we should be selective? I realize the question has many answers, but again, should we be selective in who we use this on, and has our research reached a point where we can make this selection? That's a very interesting question. So we recently completed analysis of a small phase two study that we did here at the National Cancer Institute, and we presented those findings at the uh, 2008 American Society of Clinical Oncology meetings. In that trial, what we found was that patients that were treated with vaccine, and these were all patients with metastatic disease that had failed hormonal therapy but had not gone on to get chemotherapy, that those patients actually did better than predicted in terms of overall survival. And that was encouraging to us, but perhaps more telling was a subset analysis of that overall survival was that patients with more indolent disease that were expected to live longer than 18 months versus those that were expected to live shorter than 18 months, and this can be done easily using the Holoby nomogram in this patient population, what we found was that those patients that lived shorter than 18 months, they did about as expected compared with the Holoby nomogram when they were treated with the vaccine. However, patients that were expected to live longer than 18 months actually had a substantial improvement in their overall survival compared with expected. So their overall survival was about two years longer than expected. Now, this was just a small study, and survival was not the primary endpoint of the study. However, this does raise the question whether treating patients with more indolent disease may be better. In other words, those patients may be the ones more likely to benefit. And it should be pointed out that this criteria used to determine how long the patient is expected to live was based on patients that were getting 
hormonal therapy or chemotherapy, not patients that were not getting treated for their cancer. And did you factor in their Gleason? Yes, so that's important. The criteria for this score includes the Gleason score. It includes several laboratory parameters. It includes their performance status, how much energy they have, basically. And also, it includes whether or not they had disease that was more aggressive looking in in their scan. So if they had liver disease, for instance. Today, we've been discussing how immunotherapy may play a role in developing a vaccine that will have a significant role in the treatment of cancer of the prostate. And I think it isn't too difficult to think that if it has a role with cancer of the prostate, it may have a role in other kinds of cancers. I want to thank Dr. James Gully, Director of the Clinical Trial Group of the Laboratory of Tumor and Immunology and Biology at NIH, for being with us and discussing this very provocative and hopefully new advancement in the treatment of a difficult cancer. I'm your host, Dr. Maurice Pickard, and you've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. To listen to our on-demand library, visit us at ReachMD.com. And if you have comments or suggestions, call us at 888-MD-XM-157. Thank you for listening.